Welcome to your dose of the Sideshow Hustle podcast. Discovering world-class side hustles and the hustlers behind them. Tune in for exclusive interviews, tips, tricks, and pitfalls so you can learn, start, and win. Here's your host. Here's your host. Hey team, and welcome to Sideshow Hustle. Our next guest is a school teacher with a YouTube side hustle. Online, she's known simply as Family Finance and she's just shy of about 10,000 subscribers. Family Finance is educating families on how to invest and build their wealth, and what is truly unique about the situation is she's fully opened the family's kimono. She discloses all the family's financial information, how much they save, where they invest, what their net worth is. It's very interesting to watch a family march towards securing their financial future, and as a hustler, she shares it with us. Obviously, if you're putting that much financial information onto the interwebs about yourself, You'd be a little wary of disclosing your full name and address, etc. So today we're going to refer to Family Finance as Lee, a school teacher with the YouTube side hustle. Welcome to the podcast, Lee. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you here. The audience for Family Finance is just normal families. They've, you know, mum's a school teacher, dad could be a tradie, and you know, there's this march towards independence. I guess for everybody listening. What is your elevator pitch about how this all came to be? So the reason why I started Family Finance is I discovered financial independence and I was really getting into it. And then the more that I got into it, I saw that it was just mostly singles or two-income families chasing financial independence. And I thought I had something to add because we were just kicking it off and we were probably just middle-income family. And I wanted to show others that you can still save, work part-time and also pay for childcare at the same time. And that's what I've been doing as we go along. And I've also been sharing what I learn along the way. And because I am a school teacher, I've had a lot of nice feedback about that. I just lay it out really well and explain things really well. So I've built up a nice little community there. From my perspective, I've listened to a lot of them. The content and the underlying concepts aren't necessarily easy, but the way you put it together and it's got a lot of infographics, it just makes it very consumable, very digestible for anyone that's after an easy listen, but they want to get their head around some fairly complex tasks. I think, I think it's excellent. How did you get to this point? What was going on in your life that made you decide to start this in the first place? I was reading a few personal help kind of books and same with personal finance and financial independence. It's all about, you know, find your passion and you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm like, well, I really like teaching, but I'm not sure that's where I'm at, that I'd go to work and teach for free, you know, not quite there. And one day it just clicked to me that I'm checking my, you know, spreadsheets every day and looking at the numbers and talking to others about this. And I'm like, well, wow, this is what I'm passionate about. And then I really liked the Aussie Firebug, but I just thought, no, podcasts aren't for me. And I just sat on it for a long time because I didn't know how to do it. And then I was watching YouTube one day and I just saw someone explain how to make an animated video, just their little intro on YouTube. And I'm like, hang on a minute. I could share stuff with this style, not show my face and just show absolutely everything about our finances and our journey. And I just got started. Did you have any financial literacy sort of coming into this? Like most families, there's an element of, you know, they understand budgets and stuff. But in terms of the more in-depth stuff, did you have that financial literacy built in from your parents? Or was this sort of you on a journey, learning all this stuff and deciding that I'm going to capture it as I go and put it out? I think I had a savings mentality from my mum. So that's what I was learned. And that's all I had. 
And then when I had my first child, I sort of started thinking, hang on a minute, I need to get a bit more serious about our finances. So I read the book that everyone reads, which is The Barefoot Investor. And from that moment, I just did get obsessed. So this was probably about three years before I started the channel. So I spent about three years just really deep diving into personal finance, discovering fire and learn a lot along the way. I get quite really into things when I'm into things. And then that's how it kind of evolved from there because I realized that savings ain't going to get you where you need to be. So I learned that way. I've got a history very similar to that, actually. I felt the fire group, I'm, I'm still quite involved. I post things up in there now and then, and I'm always monitoring it. And the conversation that is in these groups is fascinating. For those that don't understand what the concept of fire, do you want to shed some light on it? Probably the big thing it's about, well, it's called financial independence, retire early. But the big aha moment is that retirement's not an age, it's a number. So it's about having a certain amount invested so that you can live off those investments. And most people in the FIRE community use 25 times your annual expenses invested. And that's when you can retire, not at retirement age. So it basically distills it down to like a cash flow thing and tries to work backwards about how much cash do you need to save to make that cash flow. Yeah. For people listening, they're, you know, they've got their jobs and doing their thing. Did you put up a spreadsheet and have put some ideas in it about what you could do to figure out which one you should spend some time on and build up as a bit of a side hustle? Or was it more organic about just where your interests were and what drove you? Um, it was more organic, just this is what my interests are. I'd been watching a lot of YouTube. I just really liked the platform. I like that I can post videos and they put ads on my videos and then I get income from those ads. So I don't have to be selling things on there. I don't have to be um, using affiliate links if I don't want to. I just post my videos, you watch the ads, and I'm not having to sell things all the time to get revenue. And that is the bulk way that you make money is through the YouTube revenue? Mostly, yeah. Yeah, okay. Is there any other sources of like money that does come in? So I have affiliate links from the channel and they're quite substantial as well, not quite as much as a YouTube income. But then again, I haven't really pursued as many as I could because I wanted to keep it pretty authentic. I also opened up an Etsy shop. So I sell um, on there. So that's also been pretty good. So there's like templates that people buy for what kind of, I haven't actually seen the Etsy shop. So is it, what sort of templates are they? So I started with a personal financial uh, independence tracker and a dividends tracker and then I've just released at the end of last year my full budget tracker and I use those in my videos too so it really helps people because they're always asking do you have a spreadsheet and I just direct them to the Etsy store. Do you put together a business plan for the ideas like how do you decide on which ones to take forward is it just you talk with your partner or do you have like a someone someone like a mentor or family or is it just feedback from the community? How do you make those decisions? I think it's just feedback from the community and um, I come up with and I need to be excited about it to make the video. So if I'm not excited about the video, I just won't even enjoy the process. And that's the reason why I started. And I was enjoy it. So if I get excited about a topic, it just flows so much better. I'm definitely the same with how I work. If there's an interest there and there's an excitement, it really just flows through into the work. You can burn many hours 
fortunately you do love it and it makes the days go past pretty quickly when you put your head into the the work so you've found the an interest in a hobby that's sort of taking you financially forward you've found another community the fire community in terms of building up your audience how have you gone about sort of well i guess how did you build your audience so i started the youtube channel and an instagram at the same time which i probably should have started the Instagram first because that's where my audience came from in the beginning um, and was able to direct them to the YouTube channel. But then YouTube still has their recommendation, you know, algorithm that you do eventually get shown in YouTube. But most of my traffic was coming from Instagram in the beginning because there's quite a big personal finance community on Instagram and they're really supportive. So it was easy that way. I just got really involved with the personal finance community on there um thing you know imposed just yeah my face well not getting involved that way so you make your own social media content you put po- and you post that to instagram and then so you, at the time you were doing it not as yourself you were doing it as like the business or the, the side hustle of family finance yeah family finance like most of my friends don't even know i do this yeah which is incredible because then you think about you know, some of your videos have had fairly substantial amounts of views, right? Yeah, exactly. And in the beginning, it was so hard because normally you'd be like, hey, friends, watch this for me um, and have that. That would have been interesting. So was there anything in that at the start that turbocharged building the audience? Was there anything that you did or that went viral that helped build that audience? I was pretty active on Instagram. I'm not. You do a lot to build an audience on there. So I went and followed everyone in my niche every time they posted so that um, my comment was shown on their post I shared things that I liked from some of those people and then sometimes they would re-share that in there so that helped also went through you know anyone who was you know a hashtag that was relevant I went to that hashtag and then I went and interacted with those posts there was a lot of that in the beginning now I don't now I don't have the time for that yeah okay Time-wise, like what is a lot of time? Because you've, you've got a, another job and you've got children and life. So my YouTube videos take about seven hours to make. So I make one a week and I one hour a day on those. So I get up nice and early and try and get that out, get that hour done nice and early. And then the social media, well, who knows how long we spend on social media. I would say it's probably another, if a good day, half an hour on a bad day, an hour. Less now, but in the beginning, it, you know, would have been a lot more. I'm trying to be really, not spend so much time on there. It's really hard to not, if you're trying to build something. Yeah, especially if you're excited by it and there's, there's validation coming in all over the place about you've put something up and then you're watching to see how it trends and what happens. Yes, and interacting with all your comments too. That's something else I did. If someone commented, always replying to comments because that increases engagement. Was there anything, so there's a lot of sort of, I'm reluctant to call it generic advice, but it's almost like feeding the social media algorithm, which is find the other people in the niche, interact with them. Over time, there's like, they start interacting with you. It's the sharing of content. That means there's someone over there that's got, you know, 5,000 followers and they share something of yours, you might pick up a few hundred people or a thousand people, whatever. So it all starts to organically blend together and the algorithm's figuring that you're commenting on stuff and, you know, the hashtags elements are coming together. Was there anything that was like a big jump? Like one day, like you had a thousand followers and the next day you had 5,000 followers. Was there any one moment sticks out in the sort of lifespan of this side hustle that accelerated things? 
No, I think it's been just slow and steady really the whole time because, yeah, even when someone shares something, you're like, oh, wow, you know, like I think I'll get a lot of follows from that. But no, I think someone on Instagram shares shared for me every now and then and I get probably a bit over 100 from that, which is which is a lot and that's the best best one and she has about 20,000. Um, Has there been any things that you've done that haven't worked that have just been a waste of time or just taking it in the wrong direction? I don't know. Like I just started making TikTok videos and they're a bit of a flop. I'm going to give them another chance because I think I made them way too long for TikTok. Graham Reels, everyone's like, do Reels. That was a flop. But I, again, I think I need to change change it. I made it too long. Yeah, it's interesting because I've had similar stuff. With, this is just with the podcast itself and just slowly trying to build the audience for it. It, it is exactly the same that you, you see all the things that like, well, people are really trending on reels and I watch my kids just flick through the reels. It's, they get it so addicted to it. Um, so you, you put the time and effort into it and it's not easy for anyone that's about to do it. They, there's like a billion tools, websites that will help you do it. Some subscription, some free, whatever. But by the time you get in there and then you're trying to mess around with the video and then you're trying to lay the audio in and the stickers, it all starts getting uh, overwhelming. Before you know it, you've blown like five, six hours on this 30-second video that really doesn't go that far and doesn't really do too much for you. Like I, That's been my kind of experience. And I'd say that I'm largely probably doing it wrong because you think about 30 seconds and the reels and stuff that you do see, and that, they all sort of make sense. And then you watch your own and you think, yeah, I've definitely crammed too much in here. At the time when you're doing it, 30 seconds doesn't feel like enough. It's really hard to find the exact sweet spot that is just enough for someone's 30-second or 15-second attention span and trying to actually put a message into that 15 seconds that's of value to anybody would make them you know, hit the like button or you know, follow you. That was kind of my experience and pretty quickly get dejected and think, oh, I'm not loving that and I'm probably not going to do that anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like I tried to cram an eight-minute video into a one-minute video and and now I see that was not the right thing to do. So I just got to take like the smallest snippet structure that into just a tiny little reel or uh, TikTok. But it's so interesting because TikTok sending me notifications like pay me money and we'll um, distribute you they wanted you to do, do an ad. So I'm like, maybe this is their plan. Maybe this is how they're making money. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, yeah, make it all free and easy and fast-flowing early. And then as people come on board and try to leverage the platform, they start making it harder to climb the ranks and now it's time to open up the wallet. One thing I thought of that it would be interesting would go to go to Fiverr or Freelance or one of those platforms because you see them for like five ten dollars. People will make reels for you, and you just point them at old video content, ideally you own, and they will make the reels. I've kind of been tempted to go down that path because maybe they know something I don't. Like maybe they won't try and cram an eight minute video into thirty seconds. We go external looking for information about how to make better videos? I don't know. Like I think I'm just too much of a control freak there. The only thing I was thinking about recently is like SEO on my YouTube videos. Like just maybe I don't know enough there. Maybe I need to outsource that and just give it a go. But then I'm also sceptical on that sort of thing because I've heard stories where you pay Fiverr or someone to do that and then they do it on your videos and then they just get heaps of robots to like watch your video and then it has like a, a bit of a peak and they're like see we we did something and then so but i would like maybe 
someone knowledgeable to do my SEO. The whole thing's interesting because they're going down the path of like transcription. The whole that whole market is blowing up at the moment because YouTube is petrified that Spotify is going to cut their grass because Spotify is bringing out video. I don't know if you knew that. It's I think it's towards the end of this year, and that's why Spotify has gone very big into podcasts, and then they're going to basically start pushing those podcasters into the video element to build up the, the Spotify video side of it. So it's going into direct competition with YouTube. And in the background, YouTube's so petrified that they're paying individual podcasters, I think it's up to $50,000 to turn their podcast into a YouTube. That whole area is really lighting up because Spotify largely is starting to get into YouTube territory and they don't really like it. Mm. So it's it's going to be an interesting sort of probably 18 months, I guess, in the podcasting slash YouTuber world, I think you'll see them sort of come together. There's been talk that podcasters, instead of trying to figure out how to do all the video side, that they're putting AI in that transcribes out the audio, figures out what you're talking about, and starts trying to put in animations and graphs and stuff that correspond to what you're conversing about, so that there's a somewhat entertaining video to go with the podcast. These are all sorts of things that seem to be happening in the market. Yeah, it's always changing, isn't it? Always trying to level up. If you had your time over again, is there anything that you would consider changing? I don't think so. So I said I'd start Instagram before YouTube, but that's not a huge thing. I do all sometimes think about whether or not I should have shown my face. But then again, that's a whole different skill set. And like I was able to start the channel with just a microphone to, you know, film YouTube videos showing my face, you know, I need a camera, I need like a nice looking studio behind me. That's one thing I think about sometimes, but that's it really. For someone like you, if you, you've got diehard fans, I wonder if there's opportunity to sort of go down the Patreon path. Have you come across that platform, Patreon? Yeah, I have actually. That's an actual idea. Like do face-to-face in there. That'd be less intimidating too. It'd be casual. Yeah, because it's not the formal channel. It's basically the diehard fans where there's specialized content going in there and they're at least paying for the privilege. Like that sort of makes it worthwhile putting on pants and getting in front of a video. Yeah. Those things, you haven't sort of explored any of those paths yet? I've thought about Patreon. I just wasn't sure what extra value I could add because, you know, if someone was paying for something, I would want to make sure that, you know, I'm providing something really valuable on top of what I already share. In terms of the content that's coming out, is it, do you have like a plan that you're tracking to or is it just wherever your interests are that week? Just where my interests are. So like, you know, I always have my network videos so that's once a month and then our portfolio our stock market investments that's every three months and then just in between there just things i come across or things i want to share where does it sort of in financial terms do you want to break down for people well wherever you're comfortable at like talking about the money that it does make like people will be sitting there going okay i do a video i get a hundred views what is that worth you know some of your videos i think have had is it about over a hundred thousand views just one, yeah. So you've got a video there with over 100,000. How does the financial side work? So this is good timing because I've actually made a video about my last two years on YouTube. So I've had a look at all of these numbers. So on average, my videos get about 5,000 views per video. Obviously, some a lot more than others. So that's probably you know a little bit high, that average, but that's the average, 5,000 views per video. That video you're talking about, 
that earned me $1,300 for that video. But that's, you know, they don't all make that much. In the lead up to the channel, you don't start making money until you have a thousand subscribers. So I wasn't making money in the beginning. So this average is going back to when I wasn't making money, but it's still the average. So it's $80 a video. I went back in my first year of making videos, it was $40 a video. So I have doubled my income from $40 to $80 a video. And then though, if I added in my other income streams, like the Etsy shop and the affiliate links, the income per video was $159 on average for each video. And so I have uploaded a bit over a hundred videos now. So I worked out in the last two years on YouTube, I've earned $8,800 and on my Etsy store, $2,700. And then in affiliate, $5,600. So that added up to be just over $17,000 across two years. So YouTube, people will get paid by, there's advertisers, the ads scroll across. There's an element of money that you get paid. Yeah, we get about half. I don't know if it's slightly less than half or slightly more than half from, you know, whatever the advertiser's paying, we get half, YouTube, YouTube gets half. This is like an average rate per thousand views, right? It depends on your channel and what, what your channel is about. So the personal finance niche, I should probably say this, is quite high. We get paid more per thousand views than other channels because advertisers want to pay the big money to advertise on our channels because, you know, selling a home loan to someone, if that's the ad, that makes someone a lot more money than selling a mascara to someone. Advertisers do pay more money per thousand views. Have you had anyone approach you directly to advertise? A few, but I wasn't quite happy with what they were offering and it wasn't really a service I would use. So I didn't go down that path. Without disclosing the potential advertiser, but what sort of things do they put in front of you? Like, do they say, oh, it'll be, we'll pay you a hundred bucks to include us in a video? Like, how do they, how do they structure it? This advertiser only wanted to use affiliate link. And I was like, no, I want to be paid a set amount. I haven't used an advertiser on my channel. So this is actually a really important deal. And it will show that you are, you know, value to, valuable to me. They weren't keen to pay upfront and they only wanted to use an affiliate link. And I'm like, well, no, because, you know, I take on the risk of taking on an advertiser because my audience might, you know, not like that, but they didn't want to take on any risk. They just wanted to use an affiliate link. And I was like, no, you take on risk. I take on risk. I didn't mind because I want to keep my channel authentic and I do want to wait until I have the right advertiser. So I haven't used one yet. You've said that there's three parts of the business. There's the YouTube income, the Etsy income, and then the affiliate links. With the affiliate links, what platform do you use? So for my affiliate links, I just, I only use affiliate links for things I use. So I haven't started using extra things just to have an affiliate link for. So I have an affiliate link for a portfolio tracking tool that I use. And then I also discovered how amazing shop back and cash rewards are. So I have affiliate links for those. And then you can also have Amazon affiliates. So in my videos, I do have some Amazon affiliates in my videos, but they really don't make me much money at all. But I still like to have those in there because I only have in there, you know, the books I read or the books I like. So I think that's important. 
So I guess it's like it's one way for subscribers to at least show some kudos for the the value they derive out of the channel. And the link just it just goes you put that in the description of the video. Yeah, description of the video, or if I talk about it in the video, but I try not to, you know, just go too heavy on those. Do you have a website? No, I don't. And my brother builds websites and he tells me how I need a website, but I don't. One thing that I've sort of seen is they say like email lists are good because you can hit the send button and an email will be in someone's inbox like for sure. It's not like they, they miss it. Whereas if it's a Facebook group and you do a post and the algorithm is determining that person needs to see more bikini models that that day instead of, uh, you know, your uh, family finance feed that it, it'll sort of not show them the post and you've one of your subscribers has effectively missed out on information from you does youtube the subscription on that does every subscriber get pinged that there's a new video or is it selective they need to have the bell notification on if they want to get a notification about a video it's a bit like instagram i think at the moment only a quarter of my followers are seeing my stuff at the moment. Yeah, right. So only a quarter of the subscribers have hit the bell button to get the notification. That No, I mean on Instagram. Only a quarter of my followers are seeing my stuff because Instagram's deciding that we're just showing it to that many. Yeah, so they're sort of controlling the feed. and Yeah, that's why it gets so frustrating sometimes. You know, it's all up to these algorithms. In that space, you said you would have started Instagram early or earlier. But then you look at these sorts of considerations about, well, maybe Instagram isn't delivering everything to the your audience. Is, is there a is there another way that you potentially could set it up so that like maybe you don't use Instagram, or is there other ways to build audience and other platforms you could use that if you had a do over that could avoid that pain? Well, I do like your idea of the email list because I didn't think of it in that way before that everyone gets the email. Um, at least you know it's not choosing like Instagram. Um, I do like Instagram. The thing with me I've noticed and I'm going to try a bit harder is that I was posting every day on Instagram and now I probably post three times a week, sometimes four times a week. So I just don't know if it doesn't like me anymore because of that. So I think, you know, the more content you have out there each day, the more chance it is of getting picked up. The social media coach, she basically said, if you're not doing it daily, largely you'll start to fall off the radar because the algorithm is not loving you and it effectively is punitive and uh, stops sending you traffic because it wants that daily engagement to all the users to build like familiarity daily because it wants them to go back daily. It's it's not about you. It's about the end user that's every day at their lunch break or when they get into the, the social feed, it's like... It wants to show them regular stuff to just make them come back the next day and the next day. And if you're not helping them do that, I think you start to fall off the radar. Yeah, that's true. So I've got to get back to daily. Miss a day, maybe once a week, but daily. So technology-wise, you said about oh, a microphone and a computer. In terms of just getting up and running, so let's say there's someone out there that's, you know, they've got their own idea about doing a YouTube or a podcast. What basic stuff do you did you start with? And are you still using the same stuff? Or did you upgrade as you went? Like, how did that unfold? So I started with the microphone, which I still have. I just added a few things to it that didn't cost a lot of money. And I made my videos just on Keynote, which is Apple's. PowerPoint. And so I did get a Canvas subscription. So because 
I think you could pay $1 per image. And I started doing that and I'm like, no, I'll just pay for this subscription. So I paid the Canvas subscription and then I was using Audacity. I think it was for my audio. And then I was talking to someone who does um, podcast editing for the ABC. And she's like, I was like transferring my files from one one program to the next. And she's like, every time you do that, the quality is going to lessen and lessen. So I've been using Adobe. I have a, uh, Adobe a membership, but I have a teacher discount. So that works out well. Oh, like an educational educational discount. So that's pretty much it, to be honest. What is the Adobe software called? There's Audition for recording. So what I do is I make my videos in Keynote just as an animated slideshow. I was then importing that into iMovie. I was then using Audition to record my voice. And then I put my voice into iMovie. And then I match my voice to my movie that I made in Keynote. That's how I was doing it. And I have started using the... Premiere Pro in Adobe to make my TikTok because you can't make TikToks on iMovie, but using Premiere Pro. So it's like, oh, I just start to be a beginner again. Which has got all of its own frustrations. And over time, you probably get improved workflows and you get faster at it. Yeah. I'm like, well, if I'm only making a one minute video, it's like, doesn't hurt so much taking so long. So I'm just doing TikToks on Premiere Pro. And if I start to like it more, I might switch from Keynote onto there for my longer videos. But at the moment, I just bust it out so much quicker on Keynote. And I did want to say, like, when I started this channel, I'm not, uh, like, I'm not savvy on computers or anything. Like, I've said before that I think my skills come from, like, year 10, you know, year 10 high school. I've, like, self-taught myself everything, like even using iMovie. I was like, what is this? So, um, yeah, self-taught everything. So you don't even need to be, you know, that good at computers. And it was, like, so satisfying, rewarding learning it, to be honest. And now I've got a skill set in something too. What you just described is really quite common. I'd say almost everybody that's been on the show has very similar, like, they didn't necessarily know what they're doing at the start. They threw themselves in and they they started putting stuff out. They they used free tools. They used the things around them. They made mistakes. Things were not perfect. Almost everybody has not started with a business plan. It came out of a hobby. And I guess, you know, the whole show is about the side hustles and it's not just pure startups. And there's a different mindset between someone that just quits their job and is going to go straight into their startups and then, you know, maybe get some angel investors in and raise a couple hundred grand and fire something really crazy up we're seeing more in the side hustle space so it's less financial i'm just still being quite surprised that people aren't doing that sort of analysis or rigor up front to figure out if it's even worth doing but then the flip side is i think everybody that i've spoken to actually kind of loves what they're doing and that's why they do it and they just play so many hours into it and it's like i don't care what the financial return is because i'm loving what i'm doing there is one other part to your story i think too that's worth pointing out you're doing all this research on financial wealth it would be interesting to know do you think that your financial situation has improved not from the income from the YouTube side of it, but from trying to do the right thing to the listener, you've learned all of this stuff. There's been some accountability there for sure. So, because what, what I'm doing each month is getting shared with everyone. So there's definitely accountability there. So that's really helped with, with that. And we have grown and it's only been, well, I've, well, I've only been sharing for two years and 
from what we were then to what we are now is so different. And even without the YouTube income, our income has grown so much because it's been a focus. Our, you know, that bottom line at the end of the month, our net worth, you know, sharing that and being motivated and being in this community as well and seeing others. It's just so motivating. Those fire communities are really motivating when you see like what people are doing. Net wealth is an interesting one to talk about. How has it sort of tracked over the last couple of months? Like, is it sort of gone down recently with the market changes or how have you gone? So the last two months went down and then it's bounced back at the moment. I checked it yesterday and I'm like, come on, you can hold out a bit more. So it's nearly bounced back to the start of the year. Not looking too bad. And what sort of figures are we talking about here? Our net worth now is just over a million. So we can now call ourselves everyday millionaires. There you go. And what what was it when you started, roughly? It must have been in the 700, I think, somewhere around the six or 700. So somewhere in the six to 700s and you've added $300,000 plus in about two years. Yeah. Don't quote me on that because I don't have my figures up here. And my community are the ones to tell me. They're like, oh, not long ago it was this and not long ago it was that. And then I look back and I'm like, you're right. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing when you look back and you see that the growth and you realize that you didn't actually have to go to your job to make all of it either. Yeah, and I'm like, crack your net worth because you go to work every day and you feel like you're not getting anywhere, but you are. Yeah, you really are. Even... Yeah, most people are getting somewhere. They just doesn't feel like it. They can't see it. But when you track your net worth, you see it. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Your channel, your, the videos that you do, someone will post a question like, hey, I got this problem, debt recycling, or hey, I'm trying to do a trust fund for my kids and I want to you know, invest in my children's future or whatever. And then a link will get dropped in there and it will be a family finance video. And I think that's how I first got exposed. And it was one of those, which was that you did on investing for kids that set me off on a wild goose chase for a while, <laughs> basically setting up a, the Commonwealth Bank minor trust account for the kids and then buying AFI shares for them and not paying any tax on it. That was thanks to your video. What is the tool with the AFI share that makes it so you don't pay tax? What is that called? Is it the DSSP or DSP? DSSP. DSSP. Your video explained that out about how that worked because I was unsure. I'm like, ah, oh, this feels like a scam. I don't, like in terms of just when I'd seen it earlier and I watched your video, I'm like, yeah, no, this is, I understand this now. I understand how this works. This, this is worth it. So going back to your comment, like over time, you do these things and like you said, like you're saving and people don't really realize so you should track your net worth because it's sort of the reward for seeing how far you've gone. Your videos, I think, largely do inspire a lot of people. It would have taken a lot of people down rabbit holes. I don't think they ever would have gone down unless they saw those videos. You have no idea how many lives you've changed and likely a lot, I'd say. There'll be so many mums and dads that have watched them that have gone, if she can do this and she opens it all and sticks on YouTube, then like I can probably like watch the video and oh look, those shares, that makes sense. Those ETFs, that yeah, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna open up a trading account and off I go. Like I think it would have influenced a lot of people. Yeah, hopefully. Pleasing to hear and I do get positive feedback and it does keep me going sometimes when it does start to feel like a bit of a grind. Well, I think you should be very proud of it. And I think you should explore heavily other ways that your fan base can 
interact with you. I don't think it always has to be free content. If it goes down like a, a paid pass, I have a feeling that people might be able to like tax deduct it because it's like an educational tool. I would be exploring that path because if you're someone's a personal investor and like, well, it's 50 bucks and I can write it off against my tax, this makes complete sense. You may well find an entire path of fairly savvy investors that decide that your content, the premium content is worth money. I know that would be how I would consider paying for it. Yeah, true. I thought there's a bit of a grey area that gets a bit scary with the whole giving financial advice, but I'm like, <laughs> I'd rather be in the less grey than the grey. That's interesting too, because I think a lot of people are like that. There's all sorts of professions out there where there's this really fine, fuzzy line between can I do, what can I not do? Have you done anything to sort of mitigate any of the risk? I've looked into it and um, Glenn James from my mother millennial money did like a little seminar for influencers like months and months ago and I joined in on that and it was a really good discussion and I took away a lot of things and changed a few things with what I was doing with my channel and then ASIC just brought out some examples explaining some of their rules how they relate to influencers and I that was my interpretation of the rules already so I was pretty pleased with that so that really helped me you said earlier that you had like a perfectionist streak on the go with your videos and you're trying to get one out a week and you, you've got this sort of maybe a bit of a perfectionist element going on. How do you draw the line of like, look, it's good enough. It's just going to go versus I need to get this exactly perfect. Have you figured out a way to release that and just be like, it's good enough? Or are you literally aiming for that perfect element every time? So I do something which some people might think is a bit strange. So in the beginning, I told myself that I was only doing an hour a day on this. I think I mentioned that earlier, but I actually timed myself. So I do my one hour and um, one hour a day, no matter what, and um, just time myself. And the video seems to be ready. And if it wasn't ready, I would do extra time on it. But then that takes away the hour tomorrow that I have to do. So in the beginning, I might have taken longer to do my channel, uh, videos, but I think I've just got into a bit of a flow now that I'm like, okay, I'm doing this hour. It's got to be productive. Like if I have a break to go get a drink, I stop the clock and then I come back and I start the timer again. And that's the way I've got it done because I am a procrastinator. And if I didn't have that timer and if I didn't have that commitment, I would have not got a video out a week. Yeah. Okay. So you, like, that's something else that's common that's come up in these, this series of podcasts is people, they like time box it and say, I've got a goal and I've only going to you know commit this amount of time to it. And that forces them into action. The other part that's come out that's similar to what you just said is I just need to show up and sit down at the desk for an hour a day. I also get the sense with you that you setting the time limit to an hour is so that you don't actually spend more than an hour on it, that you could easily spend like two hours in it and then be like, well. Like, oh, you've got children. <laughs> oh, those children. It's partly timer, so you don't do more than an hour because you could easily get lost in it. But then the other part is a time put aside so that you actually do spend the hour. And it's a productive hour. Like if I'm not productive, I stop the clock and I go and have a break. I think it's important for everyone listening because everyone's a bit different, but these sorts of techniques, if you find yourself procrastinating, you find yourself not starting, you find yourself not releasing out your product when you think you should, it's probably worth experimenting with these types of techniques to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Yeah, and you can start with a smaller amount of time and build that up. The one hour a day thing, I kind of learnt it 
it's called 75 hard i don't know if you've ever heard of it it's a it's a mental challenge it's partly like health based as well but it's more just a mental toughness challenge and it's for 75 days you have to do two workouts a day of 45 minutes each one of them no matter what Every day has to be outside. Yes. And like you have to drink like, I don't know, there's a certain amount of water you have to drink. You have to read 10 pages of a nonfiction book. There's this huge list of stuff you have to do. And oh, you have to take a photo of yourself and your jocks pretty much so that there's like a before and after picture over the course of 75 days to show you that if you chip away at these goals that you might have, just within 75 days, you can achieve amazing things. And where I noticed it the most, I noticed it in the body stuff and everything, but because one of the sessions had to be outside and I've got children as well. So my wife said she'll do it with me. We couldn't exercise together because children and young ones, I couldn't leave them in the house. So it became like, okay, we'll, we'll clean the farm. And yeah, there was acres of lantana and we would lock ourselves down there and go, okay, set the, set the timer. It's raining. Just let's just start working and just destroying out this lantana. 45 minutes in with two people, gloves going hard at Lantana for 45 minutes. Some days you would barely move maybe three meters into it. It was so dense. But after 75 days, the entire farm was clear of it. And at the start, if you said, oh, two of us are going to work on this and clear it out, people would look at it and go, no, you're crazy. That will, that will take forever. But then that one small burst every day made such an epic difference. And then I carried over to all sorts of other things. And I feel like that's something you've learned is that you probably have days where you're not that productive, really. Like you, you get distracted or you start experimenting with something and, you know, an hour's chewed up. But it was the fact that you actually put an hour in that over the course of two weeks, it's 14 hours. It's a lot of hours. Yeah, that's right. Definitely right. And then, you know, the days I'm not productive, there's things that I can do that take time that don't need so much brain power. Were there any other traits or skills that you had that made you successful? I'm not sure. I think the transparency as being what's been successful for the channel. Consistency, definitely. Super important. From a marketing perspective, you've done very well to keep yourself out of it. And by you locking it down saying, well, I'm not going to actually put my face to this, you can dig into places with your financial situation. I think that a lot of people don't go which then automatically holds their channel or their information back because it's more like, well, here's an example. Whereas I think people really resonate like this chick is on a teacher's salary, you know, and, and her husband, this is what he's doing. And for a lot of people sitting at home watching the YouTube, it's, well, this makes a lot of, like I can project my own situation over the top of this and it all starts feeling a lot more achievable. Yeah, exactly, because I was watching YouTube videos and I was just waiting them for them just to get into that, you know, little bit more, just show me that little bit more, like the real numbers, and then they don't. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that's another reason why I wanted to be super transparent. That partly is why I'm doing the podcast, because people looking at business, often the business owners will never tell them what goes on financially, how much work went into it, and all people really see is either oh man, they seem to be doing really well for themselves. There's a lot of money coming in. There's all that sort of stuff. And they've got a story that they tell people about it, but it isn't necessarily the truth. And the idea behind the podcast was to get people talking about side hustles and what actually happens. Like, you know, you've spoken about the dollars that come in from, you know, YouTube and the different the different channels you've got. These aren't normal conversations. Like you think about when you're at a barbecue and you get into chatting a bit about it, 
often people are, oh, yeah, we'll make some money out of it. It's 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 not retirement money, but it's okay. Like a lot of people just never go into the numbers. And for anyone that's not from an entrepreneurial family, doesn't know where to start and has a PAYG job, they're like petrified to start. They don't know any of the numbers. Feels like everyone else is successful and they're not. Everything needs to be perfect before I start. And that is largely not the case with anyone that we've spoken to. So the opening up, I think, is the secret to people being able to project themselves over the top of it and get a better outcome for themselves. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any advice for someone starting up about where they should start, what they should do? Just start. It doesn't have to be perfect. You should see my first videos. They are terrible, but they're still there. So you can go and have a look but they have got better over time. And as my, you know, not many people are looking at them in the beginning, but it's just the important part of just getting it out there and learning as you go and getting better as you go. Well, it's excellent advice. Lee, thank you very much. I know you haven't been feeling all that well. It hasn't come through in the interview at all. So I really appreciate your time. Uh, it is quite late as well. So thank you very much for coming on. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, links to the your channel will all be in the, the show notes below. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me.